0: Hi, I'm your host, Glenn Johnston, and welcome to Procurement Matters, the podcast series of the New South Wales branch of the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, commonly known as SIPS. In this podcast series, we'll talk to procurement people of interest, ranging from those just starting their career journey through to seasoned leaders. We'll get some insights into what they are doing what they love about procurement, and a little bit of insight into their personality. It's real procurement people talking with real procurement people. In this episode, we'll be talking with Craig Lardner, founder and principal of Procurement Advisory Services. Hi, Craig. Welcome to Procurement Matters the podcast that talks to real procurement people.
1: Thanks, Glenn. Good to be here.
0: I've really been looking forward to this um, chat. Craig, you and I go back more than 10 years. Uh, we, we cross uh, in procurement circles all the time. And in fact, we're in um, what's considered competing um, industry. We were both in the, uh, the flour milling uh, business at uh, one time. And um, according to our CEOs, we weren't supposed to even talk. But uh, you and I know how to keep confidential uh, discussions confidential um, so we certainly kept our, our network going. Now let me um, start with our, our first question that i I'd like to ask all our guests um, and it's about their identity. Um, so who are
1: you? Well Craig, Craig's a I guess a born, born and bred procurement person but uh, that, that wasn't how, my start, how I started my, my career. Um, I was originally a, a cadet with BOC group straight out of college and I was uh, studying accountancy took me eight years to pass a four year course. So that tells you how how much of an accountant I wasn't (laughs) gonna be. (laughs) So uh, I I moved into um, into internal sales with BOC gases and then external sales. And then I worked my way through um, area management and eventually uh, became customer service manager, national customer service manager for Australia and New Zealand. Had a bit of a passion for customer service and um, it was a change management role. Uh, the MD at the time wanted the organisation to be more customer-centric and given that was my passion at the time, uh, he asked me to address that across the organisation. Three years later, um, whilst they were happy with that outcome, they said this, this procurement thing looks like it needs some work. And I said, what well, what's the matter with it? And he said, I think it's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got six states around Australia and we don't procure together. Can you look into that? So I became the National Procurement Manager for Australia and New Zealand for three years. Um, I was born and bred in Sydney. Um, my my wife and three kids uh, grew up in Sydney. Uh, when I took the role for CPO of BOC Gases in London, which was a global role, we uh, we moved over to London, which was a three-year deal, and it became ten years. And uh, it was a, a very important part of our um, of our life together as a family, but also for uh, for career building. Uh, I came back to Australia and, uh, and joined George Western Foods. So i have been in BOC about 33 years, and straight out of college, and then uh, five years with George Weston Foods. Uh, I'm a cricket umpire on uh, on Saturday mornings, uh, not in winter, but in, uh, in summer. Um, I go running uh, most mornings, and uh, my, my wife goes with me. And um, the three kids are all grown up now, and um, two with children, uh, one lives in New Zealand, one lives in the Cayman Islands in the Caribbean. Um, she can't get home, unfortunately, because of COVID and my other daughter lives just around the corner in, uh, in the south of Sydney with us. So that's a little bit of my, my time uh, work-wise, but I've been in and around SIPS for most of that career, including I was, uh, I was president in 2014, and I was on the board for three years, which is also a great business experience.
0: And it's fair to say, and um, all accolades to you, uh, the first global president um, from Australia on SIPS.
1: I was, yeah. Um, They just had their first international president um, from Nigeria. All presidents before that had been um, uh, Brits, but, you know, SIPS was born in the UK, so you can expect an organisation to grow up like that. And when they wanted to expand their global footprint, they made a conscious decision to not just say we're more international, but actually be more international. And um, they'd operated for 80 years as the governing body of our institute. So to be the first Australian as uh, as president, yeah, that was a proud moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well done. Um, now, what's your
0: favourite book and why?
1: Well, when I think about that, um, first I've got to admit that I'm not much of a book reader. Um, when I thought I'd, I'd answer that question because I heard previous podcast um, guests ask that question, I looked up my bookshelf and all the books belonged to my, my wife, Gil, and my kids. I found 13 books up there that belonged to me. So I had a good look at them. I read three of them. Um, and then I found another one. I'd read four. So um, <laughs> maybe my love of books was slowly increasing. But I do remember two. Um, and this, this was quite a few years back as a, a learning young manager. Um, one was called Body Language by Alan Pease. Oh, yeah. And one was called Moments of Truth by Jan Coulson who was the CEO of SAS, Scandinavian Airline Services. He went in there when the airline was on its knees and he turned it around just on the, the work done on customer service improvement. Um, I learned a lot about um, motivation, people changing an organization off its knees and then to become one, one of Europe's leading international airlines. The, um, the things I, I learned from both those books um, you know, which originally I didn't fully understand, but I could honestly say I, I use those learnings consi- consistently year on year, and would you believe right up to today. Ironically, what I learned in customer service, I use regularly in my procurement work. And what I learned about body language, I use in procurement work as well. In fact, I think I use that every day. And besides all that, they met my three criteria of a book worth reading. It has to be thin, has big font and lots of pictures.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to, to that criteria good uh, um, you might be able to uh, answer this one a little bit easier then um, if you don't read do, do you watch movies and if so what's your, your favorite movie genre
1: oh uh, yeah well it, you've, you've come to the home base there <laughs> um, I, I I can't split these three and when you hear what they are you'll probably understand why they're not particularly different and uh, um and, and i've joined them up as, as three that i can't can't separate ben-hur spartagus and gladiator and if you think about the storyline of those three three movies the genre is pretty obvious yeah. um, but the themes throughout them um, which is probably why i was drawn to the three of them and i've watched the three of them many times over it's good versus evil unexplainable cinematography mm-hmm. and action scenes that are just so hard to imagine how they pulled that off and it's all set in ancient times and in the end the goodies win. Well, in two of those three
0: movies, the, the goodie won. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, there's some yeah standout movies there. But yeah. uh, now you've nailed that one, mate. Um, can you tell us your your past ten year journey? Now you, you touched on a bit of that on, on your intro, um, but how did you end up um, in your current role?
1: Yeah, well, I've, I've probably got to link a little bit back to what I said at the outset because I've only worked for two companies in my life. Yeah. Because um, the last ten years has been in my own. My own consulting practice. Yeah. Um, but I ended up in my current role because of those two employers. Um, you know, I've worked for those two for, for, as I just said, for my whole career. And it was more their doing than mine um, that I ended up in procurement. There was 33 years with BOC, five with George Western Foods. Interestingly, I, I had 12 different jobs with BOC starting as a what was called then a cadet, which we now know as a graduate, kind of straight out of college. Um, only the last two of those 12 roles were actually procurement. The one with GWF was certainly procurement. So of the 13 roles in total, before my current role in my own business, three of them were procurement. And I listened to Sarah Collins and yourself in in the last podcast, and uh, I've got to agree with her 100%. You don't fall into procurement. Procurement finds you. And it found me 27 years ago. And I found my niche, and I've never left it. I've been in my own procurement and supply chain consulting practice now for the last 10 years of those 27.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. And I guess even though you are in you know, that, that consulting sphere, um, I, I know the work you do and you don't just drop a report on a, on a client's table, uh, you, you help them implement and execute um, some of the findings in those reports as well. So you're you're still heavily invested in, in the procurement outcomes.
1: I am. And I guess my time is 20 years as a CPO. Um, I, I remember getting many reports from consultants and being left a little bit lost on implementation. Yeah. Um, not a novice, but I, I sure would have liked some serious um, hand-holding to deliver what the report was promising could happen. Yeah. So I, I just thought to myself, if I'm going to do this, I, I, I want to make sure that the, the material discovered for, for the client is implementable and that if it was up to me, I could implement it um, back in my old CPO roles. Because yeah. if it doesn't meet that criteria, then I'm probably setting the CP up for failure. And I'm not about to do that.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's your reputation as well as that of your, your client. Very true. Yeah. Now, can, can you tell us um, what are you passionate about both um, professionally and personally?
1: Well, per, per, on the personal front, and um, my family is head and shoulders above everything else, they're what I'd call my must-have. Uh, the other elements that feature are my want-to-haves, like respect, enthusiasm, community involvement, and things that are moral and just,
0: that'd be my short list. Yeah, I understand that fully. Now I know you love your job, I know you love the profession, but um, if you had a choice, uh, either right now or maybe starting over again, is there an ideal or a dream job that would uh,
1: tick all of your boxes? There, there is one. Um, and I, I thought of this many years ago, actually, and it still would be my dream job. Or, uh, the way I look at it is if I was coming back in another life, yeah, what might I want to be? Yeah. And it's the lead singer in a charts-topping band. <laughs> and, and there's a reason for this, Glenn. To try as I have, I actually can't sing. I can't hold a single note. My singing is so flat, they wouldn't let me be in the school choir of 50 kids. I figured it must be pretty bad if 49 other kids can't drown me out.
0: <laughs> I, I, I chuckle because I, I, I'm sure we've had karaoke nights at some of our conferences. And uh, yeah, I think I've heard you uh, choke a, a tune or two. Okay, so let's move on, <laughs> <laughs> Um Now, what's the best and worst part of your, your current job? And I know you, we, we shouldn't call it a job because it's a passion, but hmm. yeah, but if you can expand on that for us. Well,
1: first you need to know, and you probably do know this of me and, and, and others that I've spent a lot of time with would know, but for, for everyone that's listening, I'm, I'm a social animal and, and a bit of an extrovert. Uh, working in those two corporates for so long meant that I could surround myself with people and business colleagues inside and outside those two corporates both domestically, locally and internationally. my current job in my own procurement practice doesn't provide that sort of interaction. In the 10 years in in my own business, I've done work now in 70 different organisations. And most of those people uh, are really good to be around, good to work with, but the interactions, they're sort of not the same. The camaraderie is there, but it's different. It's still positive, it's still friendly, but it's different. It can be a bit lonely sometimes. If I was an introvert and preferred my own company over others, then it probably wouldn't matter much, but that's just not me.
0: Yeah, that's a great insight. Um, I'm sure there's gonna be uh, listeners uh, that are in that consulting space and and could certainly relate to that. Um, Anyone who knows you knows that you're an extrovert Mm -hmm. and and you you get your power from the the social aspects of of interacting with people. I'm what you mentioned there as the, the introvert. Um, not that I like my own company, but I just don't need that interaction to get that power. And I guess that's something people don't think about when they go into jobs, uh, and particularly consulting, which can be a lonely you know, sort of environment you, that you're in.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is certainly that. Um, not not lonely in a depressive way. No. Um, but as I said at the end there, um, if you're an introvert, you probably wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. Right? But when, when you're a social animal and quite extroverted, you absolutely do notice it. And, and I, I know colleagues in our profession that have um, gone from public or, or private sector and gone into consulting, it come out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't quite that they, they'd say it wasn't quite for me. And I just think to myself, I think I know why. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, but obviously in my case, being my own business, um, I've got a different vested interest um in in turning it into an enjoyable piece of work. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't have to report to a boss about what I'm doing every day and whether it's in line with the strategy of the business. That's my call. Yeah. Um, although my wife is the chief financial officer, so there are conversations there where I do have to explain myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> now, th- this is one that, uh, yeah, we could have spent the whole podcast on, but what are the most important attributes of leadership? A wise man once told me, Glenn,
1: And I asked this question of him 20 years ago, Um, he said to me, the leader needs to do two things, set vision and manage risk. Now, I I remember standing there looking at him, well, what else is there? Surely the list is longer than that. Mm. Because at the time, it just sounded an oversimplification to me on a topic that on the surface looked very complex and lots of moving parts. I mean, just think of how many books have been written on this yeah how could it possibly be just those two things interestingly the more i pondered it the more i was able to put each item of complexity and each moving part into one of those two things mm. so i set about learning vision setting and risk management early they have been the foundation stone of my career of course more finite skills and competencies competencies otherwise known as behaviours, are needed. And I filled myself with those over time. But at the end of the day, they complemented the foundational two, of set the vision and manage risk.
0: Yeah, and and you've really, you know, I I guess simplified that um, for for the audience as well. I think people often over-complicate leadership. um, And to hear it, you know, succinctly like that, in in two broad elements, Mm. it's it's quite a take on it. Well, probably... um, helped me initially
1: eat that elephant little bites because if I if I wanted the right and privilege of leading a team, mm. um, I need to know what leadership is. And when he made it
0: so simple for me,
1: it actually, you know, it did light my afterburners. It did get me moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, that's great. Now, just, I guess, um, on, on that uh, question, do you have uh, role models or, or mentors?
1: In a professional business context, yeah, I do. Um In those 13 roles I talked about, there was only one manager that I knew I didn't want to be like. All the other 12 had a mix of qualities that I could cherry pick from and try and emulate the best way I could. One of those bosses was a boss in London for 10 years. When I was there as the CPO, part of loving that job that I was doing was actually watching the way he handled people, how he handled situations and really insightfully how he handled himself. What Watching that over 10 years grew me up corporately. I, I know I matured a lot faster in those 10 years than the 10 years before or the 10 years after. That was the spike because I had such a clever leading light to uh, mirror as much as I possibly could. In fact, he caused me to want to be a mentor for someone when I felt I was ready. Uh, That was back when I was in the UK. I've now got 20 mentees, Glenn, scattered Mm -hmm. all over the world. They make up a very satisfying part of my work in procurement.
0: And I think that's part of our ongoing maturity, as we get into that mature status of uh, being procurement professionals, is giving back uh, and and taking mentees on board and I guess making the path and journey for them somewhat easier, not having to go through the same mistakes that we we found
1: absolutely and um you know I I I meet with groups of aspiring mentors people who would like to know is this difficult Craig is do I have time in my busy work calendar for this stuff um do you really get a kick out of it and I I can honestly talk to them about how easier it has become yeah right the the first one was me learning to be a mentor Uh, the 20th I I think I pretty much had it down pat I, I knew the way I wanted to help this individual um, at the 20th I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and all 18 in, in, in between. You know, I've, I've explained to people many times before, I, I can, in my own mind, I break a career up into three bits. There's the first third, the middle third and the last third. The first third is full of learning to be clever. The middle one third is being clever and delivering. The third one third is full of giving back. Mm -hmm. Now There are there's no firm lines between those transitions there there is there is graying out and and graying in as as you move from one one third to another one third. And and they do happily overlap. It's not like, you know, at the end of the first third, you suddenly stop learning.
0: Yeah.
1: And and you're immediately the world's best deliverer. Not necessarily so right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But if you think about your, your career in that context, that last one third, clearly where I'm at, um, and I'm I'm absolutely comfortable with this being my, my giving back. I'm not sure I could have done a lot of what I do now in my first one third, maybe some of it, but not not with the depth and and broadness that I picked up as I went into my back one third.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks for sharing that. I mean that's a great um, analogy and and I guess definition of. Uh, you know that working career in, in thirds. I've never never thought about it like that, but I've I'm I'm living in the uh the final third now as well. Mm. So no, it's it's great to get that uh, that insight. Now, what's the future of uh, procurement? Yeah, you know, or the next big thing yeah you know, to affect or disrupt, notwithstanding COVID. So let, let's not touch on COVID. I think we've yep. beaten that to death. yeah What do you see happening next?
1: Well, I, I can I can give you five that um, I can put in my crystal ball. Yep. Um. And you know the first one is the full potential of, of potential of AI is yet to be seen. Um, number two, blockchain for product traceability can more fully mature. Um, number three, social procurement close to your heart, I know. Yep. Will get stronger and stronger, happily, but sadly, only in those nations where the procurement, I'm sorry, where the government, not just the procurement people, but where the government values human rights and communities, health and well-being. Yeah. In countries with governments that don't have a natural inclination like that, they're not motivated towards social procurement. No. A no. four was, I would say would be the emergence of collaborative procurement between like-minded governments in different countries, not just procurement around the world. And it won't be just a cost saver but in fact, more as an economy builder. Mm. Now, if yeah. you'd have asked me this question 18 months ago, I don't think I'd have thought of that one. Yeah. But the events of the last 18 months have been a Damascus moment <laughs> for pretty much everyone in business, not to mention communities at large for, for many different reasons. But in business, uh, I think a penny has dropped that um, collaborative procurement between like-minded governments is not just good for managing the budget, mm. um, but actually building your economies together. Yeah, and the last one, uh, I've actually put, you know, this next big thing, if you like, um, yep. into the context of. There's a little bit of hope in this one, Glenn. Um, in my crystal ball, it's it's a little foggy, um, so that <laughs> means it's a maybe. Yep. Um, but I'll I'll add some hope to it in in the hope that it actually transpires. If I could touch procurement with a magic wand, the procurement professional of the future will be business savvy, not just a good deal doer. They'll hold the gold medal in the art and science of generating collaboration. They will be the go-to person for their CEO who needs their whole organisation to be synchronised and aligned across the organization and down the organization throughout the organization having that reputation for procurement would be quite a badge of honor yeah
0: geez that that is an aspirational one um but i I think it is achievable Uh, i I don't see any reason why it's not yeah if if we
1: all you know had some sense of subscription to it yeah um yeah you, you don't become a a great collaborator just from practice there are some skills to learn mm. and most of them are around interpersonal and understanding other characters, other characteristics, knowing what to do when you come up against that characteristic. What behaviour should I display when I see that sort of display on the other side of the table? Yeah. and I'm, I'm not limiting this prediction to the procurement world. Um, it, it's actually possible beyond procurement. Yeah, But in the yeah. context of procurement for today, I can absolutely see that as an achievable reputation for our profession.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's excellent. Now, what advice would you have uh, for people entering into a career in uh, procurement, either straight from school or yeah, a mid-career sort of change? Yeah, when I heard you ask
1: this question of a, of a previous guest, I thought, oh, here's an opportunity for my top 10. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I reflected on what's my top 10 that could answer this question. Um, now, some of these do relate to someone first coming into the profession, yeah. But others do not. Yeah. So, if we've got a, a listener who is, you know, mid mid career um, or in the latter end of career, but they still want to fine tune their skills and and you know be bigger and better tomorrow morning than they were today, then there's some things in here that uh, I hope they might want to ponder. Yeah. But the first one was being an initiator, and one of the great tests of are you an initiator someone who starts stuff is have you got the courage to tackle what is perceived as impossible hmm. now if i make that the first one um that the second one is uh, is is going to help it be more successful than it first sounds because if something's impossible and how do you make it possible but let's tackle that one in a moment but that first one also means don't just keep doing on the tomorrow what you did on the yesterday So number two, be a closer. Um, The HR directors will tell us that's a complete finisher. Um, Those who talk a good game always get found out. Yeah. Number three, give yourself permission to fail occasionally. Um, Call it actually a learning experience. Um, But remember what went wrong and don't repeat it. Number four was know everyone at work. I put inverted commas around everyone because obviously that's uh, yep. that's an awful lot of folks to know. Yep. Uh, for people that work in bigger enterprises. But, you know, take the word for what it means, which is either everyone or everyone possible. Hmm. And the reason is your network is an asset. Now, the network has A and B. There's your internal network in and around your own business. Your own organization. And then there's the external network. In fact, the one that you and I are in, SIPS is a network. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the sustainability committees that you're on, that's a network. And the, the wider and stronger your network, the more options and thought inputs and insights you've got as a business individual, yep. maybe even as a person. The number five would be learn vision setting and risk management techniques early. Yep. I think you know why that's in my list, because it it became my foundation. It just might be for someone else as well. Yep. Uh, number six is be humble and no one likes a peacock strutting around the office
0: Mm.
1: number seven uh, your good name and I mean your name is worth more than any gift or gratuity from a supplier a polite no thanks is your shield of armor for your reputation yeah just add to that one that if you falter or if you have faltered in the ethics field and It's uh, there's been some blowback because of a bad decision you made. The sad thing is it actually never goes away. That's how costly that mistake can be. There's a lot of mistakes you can make as a as an individual and in business that you can make up for. You know, you can recover. Yeah, Um, you can, you know, do something that will minimize, maybe even eliminate the prior damage. This one doesn't. It might go from black to gray, but it won't go away. Yeah. And your good name is surely worth more than that. Yep. Number eight, uh, listen lots, talk a little. You'll learn more listening to others than you will listening to yourself. That sounds a bit like a proverb, doesn't it? Yeah. I might make a list of proverbs. I'll put it, probably put that one in. <laughs> um, but I, I think everyone would probably get the message if I said, listen lots and talk a little. Um, if you do all the talking, you're, you're not doing it anywhere near as much learning from the other side than what you need to do, yeah. Number nine, um, and I've sort of tried to live and breathe this one from, from my early years, but don't ever break a promise. Use the word promise, i put that in inverted commas, very carefully. The world is full of big talkers who fail to deliver. Yeah. So cherish the word promise, use it, but only when you know, confidently, you won't regret having used it. And number 10, uh, being true to something I said earlier to you in this this discussion, go and mentor someone. And and, and I mean right now, don't wait until you're a CPO. Don't wait until you're in the back one third of of your career. Yeah. So let's say one of your listeners now is in their first year as a graduate because they came out of uni last year. They might hear me say this about go and be a mentor, and they say, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still, you know, I've got my old plates on. Well, actually, I've got to tell you that, that myth is wrong. You just went through university, you survived, you know, heavy, intense education, Yeah. and you walked out with a qualification that's helped get you get you a job. Well, there's a uni student back there at the uni that you just went through, who would love to talk to you about the challenges ahead, because you've been through them and they haven't. That's a mentor.
0: Absolutely, even a, um, you know, a high school student who hasn't you know, gone down that journey yet
1: yeah you could mentor them absolutely yeah. and you know typically they're too shy to ask uh they're, they're probably and and i've asked so i know this to, to be true uh, i didn't think you know i was worthy of a, a mentor yet wow, wow. Let, let's help them know that's not true yeah um and and the other myth and i know this to be true because i've asked young professionals they say well i don't know enough yet craig about procurement i said who says it's about procurement. Yeah. Right. It could be about that educational journey. It could be to the high school student who's thinking about different careers on Careers Day. Yeah. And you, you could take someone through what you've been through and then leave them to it. You know, being a mentor for someone is not a life contract.
0: No, that's right. It can be a, a very short-term Absolutely. engagement as well. And it doesn't have to
1: be locked in, you know, the first Tuesday of every month at 9 a.m. we'll have our one-hour meeting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that at all. Yeah. If you both consider that to be quite a good thing to do, then go ahead and do it. Mm. Get ready to change it. But if you don't think that's necessary, then, you know, a once-a-year chat. You know, the 20 mentees I told you about? Yeah. A couple of them is a phone call once a year. Yeah. And that's them just checking in and filling me in on the latest best thing that happened or something that wasn't so great um and that just suits them fine well you know when you're a mentor what suits the mentee should be just fine don't don't re-engineer something that they're not
0: looking for yeah absolutely Uh, hopefully everyone's uh, writing these down as i just did there's some some great nuggets in there Um, okay craig so we're coming to the end of our our chat um but just finally where will you be in five years time
1: well this won't take too long then um I'm a cricket umpire in Sydney um so I'll still be umpiring cricket um in five years time um I clicked over my hundredth game this year uh, so by the time your five years comes along I'll I'll look forward to clicking over 200 uh, and getting another badge which I can proudly wear on, on the cricket field um It probably helps the the players know that uh, the umpire's got a bit of experience. I don't argue with Craig. (coughs) On the work front, um, I'll I'll be here, uh, likely doing more coaching and mentoring then in terms of the mix of work. Um, But overall and most importantly, I'll I'll be looking for a nice balance.
0: Great. Craig, thanks for sharing part of your life uh, with us and offering some valuable insights.
1: Great to be here, Glenn. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Craig. All the best.